Welcome to The Secret Life of Dietitians. I'm Laura Poland. And I'm Amy Keller. And we are together again. I know. Yay. <laughs> Hopefully the sound is better for yeah. you all. Thank you for sticking with us. <laughs> with Omicron, we have been very cautious about yeah. being in the same space together, but we are seeing numbers go down and... We felt like it was a good We're time to get back fully together. Fully vaccinated. Well, fully vaccinated. Fully right. And some of us have had COVID. So, right. yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we really wanted to get together today. And because it is, again, we're still sort of in that new year, new you part of, of, of uh, 2022, right? <laughs> we didn't wanted to talk about tracking. And we're going to do kind of a pro-con discussion today. We're going to hear both sides of what tracking can do for you whether it's good or bad. Um, And hopefully by the end of today's episode, you can make a decision of whether calorie tracking, uh, fitness tracking is something that you want to do, or maybe that it's a a troublesome thing for you and you might want to do something else. So stick with us today as we talk about the truth about tracking. So I found a very interesting statistic the other day in an article. As of 2019, there were 318,000 health apps available on app stores worldwide. Oh, my gosh. This is insane to me. It is. 200 new apps enter the marketplace each day. Every day. Every day. 200? Wow. Right. And of course, we know that many of these apps, if you've downloaded them before, if you've just even looked through your app store, many of them focus on nutrition as that key building block to a healthy life. So today we really wanted to take a a balanced discussion about tracking. And I know that you've worked with tracking with your clients. I've done the same, um, maybe in a different way. Mm -hmm. But I thought we took take a look really at what tracking can do for you. And then I think I want to definitely look at maybe the dark side of tracking because there is one. And maybe again, like I said in the intro, by the end of the day, you can decide whether tracking is something that you can do and find helpful or if maybe you should stay away from it. Right. So let's right. let's kind of get into that. Yeah, and I think where I started with this too is just as a dietitian, I remember, you know, when I went through school and I do this a lot when, when I was <laughs> when I was young, uh when I went through school, it was commonplace for us to talk about and have our clients track because otherwise as a dietitian, it's very difficult to analyze what's going on. But the tracking back then was so different. We didn't have, what was it, 318,000 apps available as of 2019 with 200 coming on the market every day. And people weren't tracking. They were tracking for us, right? They were tracking because they were working with a dietitian. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is a big distinction that we need to keep in mind. Uh, But when we talk about this, you know, obesity, overweight is the most urgent public health need going on right now. We know it's related to cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, and quality of life. And so it is for first and foremost on a lot of people's minds. And so it's no wonder that people go to tracking. And we were told as dietitians, I mean, it is helpful to your client to be a little more aware of what they're doing. But all of that came from the idea that just writing it down, just looking at it on a piece of paper, you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and seeing a big overall, this is what's going on with my diet. 
So there was a new survey that was done. It was maybe, it was on behalf of a Sunshine Health Studios. Uh, I think they were selling an, a tracking app probably, <laughs> but they were doing a, a, a survey of dietitians and they did find that 94% of the dietitians that were surveyed said that health and fitness tracker apps increase weight loss success. 78% it helps people with more healthful choices and 70% say it can help with their lifestyles. And of course, dietitians are going to say this because that's what we're doing. That's what we're, we're working with our clients. And when it's a appropriate. This is where I'm at these days is if it's appropriate with a client, then we will track. And yes, it can be helpful. Right. There are other ways you can do it though. Right. (laughs) I agree with you. That's, that's something that I never really considered before that we have asked patients to track and clients to track, but not necessarily in a vacuum, like where they're just for their, their own information tracking, because like you said, they come back to your appointment with a food diary, whether it's Mm -hmm. an old fashioned notebook and paper Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, a a popular app where you can just kind of scroll through it or they can print out information. Right. Those things have been around a long time. Yep. But I agree with you really has been more in the context of partnering with a health professional. Right. With that tracking. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So for me, I, I occasionally, and, and I, when I'm working with clients, I do encourage them to occasionally write down what they're eating if we kind of feel like we need to do that. Now, I use an app within my system for when I work with clients, and it's, it's a photo of the food that they're taking. Oh, I've seen those. Yeah. yeah. So for the, those that forget to take the picture or would rather, they can just write down what they ate and they send it to me and then I'm looking at it. It's not telling them how many calories they're consuming. It doesn't tell them how much protein or sodium, all these other nutrients mm-hmm. necessarily. If we need to go there, we can, there are tools that we could use and get there. But for most of my clients, I just want that awareness and I want to be able to see a little bit deeper, maybe if I ask them to do that, what's going on. That's kind of neat too, because if you think about it, that would be an opportunity, for example, to see if half the plate is fruits and veg. Exactly. You know, um, if that's something that you're working on with your client, that Mm -hmm. would be very obvious in a Mm -hmm. photo. Yep. And, um, I think I, I almost think if I was sending it to somebody, I would make sure my exactly. have my plate with fruits and veg. Well, and I, so <laughs> I'm going to go through some of the, the pros of, of that tracking. And so uh, that tracking, to, to your point, the number one thing is it does create awareness and it also can be a, create that accountability, whether that accountability is to yourself or to a dietitian you're working with, right? So it does really help when you're tracking and taking those pictures, just like you said, uh, you, you might even think twice. And that that is, you know, one of those things, you know, you're, you're going to think twice about, oh, wait a minute, I'm missing a vegetable here. Maybe I better add a vegetable to my dinner. And so that is what tracking can do for you. It's actually almost thinking before you're putting it down, right? So it creates that awareness. Secondly, I think it shows you what you're doing well, and it does show you my, maybe where you are struggling and what you're not doing so well. And so when you're working with a dietitian like me, for example, I'm going to be saying, yeah, this is what your plate needs to look like. So you can kind of really tell, you know what, I'm really struggling to get that, veg- that next vegetable on my plate or get a vegetable at lunch or whatever it is. And then we can talk through that. It also shows you 
you know, like I said, uh, what you're doing well. And so if you know your goal is to eat more frequently throughout the day, not skip those meals, you can really tell how often you're skipping the meals Mm -hmm. and see progression, right? And see improvement. And yeah, nobody, this is the other thing that I would warn you about is you're not going into tracking to to be perfection, you know, it doesn't need to be perfection. It's, it's trying to track to improve. So that's Mm -hmm. another hang up that a lot of people do when they're doing tracking on their own is they're not seeing sometimes that improvement. So I want people, if you're going to track, you want to focus on what are you doing well? And then what is it that you need to work on? Mm -hmm. So it also shows you patterns uh, of eating, how much you're eating, shows you how often you're eating. Uh, that can be a real eye-opener for a lot of people, and that's why it can be beneficial to do. Um, and then, again, it can help with specific health goals, uh, whether that's weight loss or if it's controlling sodium or anything like that. Those are the things that it can help you with uh, if you want to get more specific So it really can help you if your goal is to lose weight when you're, this is where it gets tricky for me, right? So if you're trying to lose weight and that is your goal, what are you looking at? That's why I feel like you need to have a dietitian, Mm -hmm. somebody helping you evaluate that. Right. Because that's where we can get into trouble because I can see things a lot differently, maybe a lot clearer than you can if you're looking at a food record. Because a lot of times you just think about everything you should avoid. And a lot of times what I'm seeing in food records is what's not there. I agree. (laughs) I agree. That has been one of the joys of getting to know you better as a professional because it is really, I mean, just personally. You know, last night, I guess we had like an an orange chicken from Trader Joe's, which is one of my favorite things ever. Had some brown rice with it. And I had some cut up peppers. And I just threw those in. Yeah. Because that added a vegetable. It had some color. It was kind of a brown meal. (laughs) And then if I put this beautiful red peppers with it, first of all, I ate a vegetable with it. (laughs) And I mean, it's like that was adding to. Right. And not saying I can't have orange chicken, which is one of my favorite things. Yeah. 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 Awesome. I love that. A lot of the main... like pros that I would say about tracking. One other thing it can help with that I think can be very beneficial is if you suspect that you have a food intolerance, that we have people tracking to help identify what they may be intolerating. Yes. Again, though, and you probably know this better than I do, is like looking at the food records, how to evaluate that, right? This is one of the trickiest things I do when people come in and say, something is bothering me. Mm -hmm. And they bring a lengthy food record in, and I'm sort of, I guess, going to play detective on this. And because so many things can bother you, is it dairy? Well, or is it the pizza that Mm -hmm. the dairy was on that had a sauce that had onion and garlic in it? If you think back to our FODMAPs episode with Julie. Yeah. You know, pizza is a really tough one because there are so many things that could be the crust. It could be gluten. It could be, it, it's a very difficult thing to track um, yeah. intolerances. The only time I really use it with intolerances if we're truly eliminating something. So right. let's say you suspect dairy is your issue. Yep. And you're writing down what you're eating and you're writing down, okay, I'm omitting dairy and I'm tracking my symptoms. Right. If you see, you know, you've omitted dairy, you've kept everything else constant. Right. You're better without dairy. 
Right. Or you add dairy back in and all of a sudden these symptoms reappear. Right. Absolutely a wonderful, legitimate use of exactly. true. But I almost don't say it's more tracking as just detective work or, sure. you know, journaling or something like yeah. that right. to maybe figure out if your symptoms are improving or if they're returning after you've eliminated something. Those elimination diets are a really tough thing for people to do, but in that way, journaling or at least writing things down can be very helpful. But sometimes you need the dietitian to look right. and say, hmm, I'm not sure it's the gluten. Right. I think it might be the onion and garlic in the sauce, for example, right. that's actually more bothersome to you. Right. So yep. that's yeah. one of the reasons we talked about in Julie's episode, the low FODMAP diet is not a DIY diet. No, uh, because it is right. so complicated for the for irritable bowel syndrome. Again, you can go back and listen to that episode. Uh, it's so complicated. It is really not something that should be undertaken by just mm-hmm. anybody, mm-hmm. Uh, because you're going right. to end up over restricting yourself, more, most likely. Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> the bottom line for me is whether you're looking to lose weight or improve your relationship with food, it can be beneficial to meet with a professional maybe beforehand and then make that decision on whether or not tracking is is needed. I used to ask my clients to take take three days and write down everything you ate for three days before mm-hmm. meeting with me mm-hmm. my, for my first visit with them. Mm-hmm. I don't do that anymore. So tell me about that. Yeah, so now I'm more apt to... In the intake and the initial assessment with them, I will actually ask them about their history, their Mm -hmm. family history, and then we'll talk about a typical day, Mm -hmm. and I have them go through, okay, you know, what time are you waking up? When is the first time you're eating? And we're Mm -hmm. kind of going through a typical day together. It's not as, you know... I I try to get the details out then Mm -hmm. when I'm talking to them, and And then we go through different habits that Mm -hmm. I feel are important, and it kind of goes back to that. And so I can kind of say, well, it seems like in your typical day, you might be getting, you know, like zero to one serving of vegetable a day. Is that about right? You know, Mm -hmm. and we go back through and talk about it in more depth. That's kind of how I have been approaching it right Right. now. And I think that's interesting because I will ask clients um, with celiac disease to do a three-day food diary before they come to see me, mostly because I want to see if they're eating gluten. Right. And that's the that only reason gluten. that I'm using mm-hmm. for that, you know, but yeah. from a weight loss perspective, I don't really do it either. I okay. Maybe I used to. I um, did. I used right. to do it all the time. Well, and, and you got to think you might be even getting an artificial look right. at what's because they know they're going to go see you and they want to be good mm-hmm. and you might be getting not an accurate look. Very true. And then at the same time, I also might be making somebody do something that makes them feel uncomfortable. Right. And again, am I going to get reality in those three days or not? And I guess I've just kind of learned that it's better to just talk and have a conversation and and talk about it together. And this is why it's so important to work with a registered dietitian. (laughs) I just can't even stress it enough. Yeah. And speaking of registered dietitians, Laura is going to, here after the break, take a minute to tell you about a new program that she has going on soon called Dinner is Served. Okay, yes. Thank you so much. Dinner is Served. You too can cook a a meal on a busy night. We are going to provide a balanced meal plan with recipes and you are going to cook along with me. You know, the struggle is real. Dinner happens 
every single night. Who knew? (laughs) I have been taking a culinary course and we are cooking in the final hour of each class each week. And I've realized I like to have new recipes provided and, and it's been fun to do it in a group. We have about 300 dietitians. Oh my gosh. That are in the call every week. That's awesome. It's been great, and I realize the importance of having that led by somebody who's cooked it many, many times the first time you're cooking a new recipe, right, Mm -hmm. and trying to put something in, because some of us really struggle with that. So this has inspired me to create a new service. It's kind of like a cook-along-with-me, Laura Poland, registered dietitian, and I am sharing it, actually, and announcing it right here first to our listeners. This is an exclusive. So I will be officially launching in March. uh, But if you think this sounds like fun, there will be a link in our show notes for you to sign up and receive emails. So once it's launched, you can officially register. The first class will be March 24th. That's a Thursday. It's at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And I will record the event, too. So if you want to cook when it's a good time for you to cook, because I understand, (laughs) you can watch the video when you are ready to cook. So our first event will be a roast chicken with spring vegetables, and I be, you know, your family is going to be so impressed with this recipe. It's a great recipe. It cooks in 35 minutes. Wow. And uh, I know, and it can be made on a busy weeknight, or I've also, I kid you not, made this for Easter dinner. <laughs> so, you know, a very special dinner. Uh, so here's what to expect. Everyone who signs up to take the class by March 10th, they will receive a bonus video on basic knife skills that I'm doing, kind of showing them how to buy a knife, how to sharpen a knife, and then how to cut and dice an onion. So registration will end a week prior to the event. So that'll be March 17th is the deadline. Everyone will receive the meal plan a week in advance because I truly believe you need a week to get your grocery list in order and to go shopping. I will also do be doing a video of me shopping for the ingredients. So let's say this recipe calls for, you know, like bone-in chicken breasts and they don't have those at the store. So we're going to talk about what do you do? What can kind of al- alternates can you do for this recipe? Uh, if you're listening after this deadline, don't worry. I will be adding a new Dinner is Served event every month, hopefully through October. So sign up for my newsletter for updates and everything on what's going on. So I hope you can join me. I'd love to cook with you. That's so cool. I might sign up. I'm telling you. I'm it's like, fun. I'm inspired. It's been fun to try a new recipe, right? All right. So let's get back to our discussion about tracking. And we've talked about when tracking might be appropriate Mm -hmm. in the first half of today's show. But the other thing I want to talk about is maybe the other side of tracking and when tracking might not be appropriate for you or for somebody you know. So I have three or four points I want to go through. But the first one is talking about tracking and its relationship with disordered eating. And yeah, I, this found this, huge. <laughs> I found this, I found this in a blog from Duke Health Eating Disorders, which is an extremely wonderful resource, an article called Trouble with Tracking. And they had some really interesting statistics that I wanted to share today. A 2016 study found that one quarter of participants described that their fitness, weight loss, exercise apps further perpetuated their disordered eating behaviors and attitudes. And if you think about this, this does make some sense. It does. If you are really Mm hyper-focused on your app, 
hyper-focused on your intake, there is some thought that that can lead to sort of that being very cognitive about your food choices instead of letting your body guide you to what's satisfying. Mm -hmm. So for example, you're on your fitness tracker on your weight loss app. Mm -hmm. If you are trying to keep your breakfast into 400 calories, right? you may make choices that fit into that 400 calories, sure, but are unsatisfying to you in the end. Right. You might have been hungrier than that that right. morning. And what you might find then, and maybe we've all experienced this, is if we're trying to keep things in a very you know, set parameter, mm-hmm. we are more likely then to overeat later. Yep. You know, it's like that meme you've seen, you know, the woman goes in and looks for rice cakes and then she looks for fruit and then she looks for, you know, nuts. And then all of a sudden she eats the cookie that she wanted to eat to begin with. Right. And perhaps that cookie does not fit into your fitness tracker or your weight loss app. Right. And the question is, what kind of effect does that have on us? Yeah. The other thing that is interesting is that we know with disordered eating, the issue a lot is inflexible thinking. Mm -hmm. And inflexible thinking appears to get stronger as an individual with that characteristic begins to track calories. Right. Because I'm staying within this certain number of calories. And Mm -hmm. if I exceed it, oh no, I've done something wrong. Right. I don't know if you've had experiences with clients like that. Yeah, if you start feeling that way or if you start feeling like you can't be honest with the the food record or you're just not going to write it down for one mm-hmm. reason or another, that's a, a signal that maybe it's not for you, right. right? It's not probably beneficial to you if that's making you feel uncomfortable. Right. I would say, you know, that's not necessary. I get clients that... There are clients that come to me who are already tracking and they love it and they're fine, but they seem to be fine. Uh, But I always do kind of question them and caution them that if I hear too much that, you know, I I hear a lot actually too about not (laughs) even following through on what the fitness tracker is telling them to. Mm-hmm. I always want to be under what it says. I right. want, always want to be under, you know, and I always want to beat that number. You want that, like I know in my fitness pal, everything is green if mm-hmm. you're good and you haven't exceeded. But as soon as you exceed, even mm-hmm. by like one gram of carbs or one gram of protein, you go into that red. Right. And so psychologically, I think that can be a problem. So, right. Yes. People who are sort of living and dying by those numbers. Yeah. Is it, it, that's a real concern. Yeah. That's if you're willing to look at that and be flexible about it. Right. I don't have a problem with right. that. Right. If you're willing to say some days I'm going to eat, you know, 1,800 calories and some days I'm going to eat 1,500 calories. And as long as I'm hitting an average mm-hmm. over a week, that maybe is a healthy way to handle it. But if you find yourself, I, I sometimes I describe it as a race to the bottom. If you find yourself seeing how few calories you can eat, right? Um, I know for just personally, psychologically, when I track, I tend to overly restrict early in the day because I feel like I'm trying to save something yes. for later in the evening. Instead of having that really balanced breakfast, I'm thinking, mm-hmm. well, maybe I could just do coffee and a protein bar because that'll that'll only be 190 calories right. and then I won't, you know, right. I will have more to spend later in the yes. day. If that is 
what your tracker is doing to you, that may be a situation where you're like, "Mm, this isn't for me. Right. If it's keeping you from eating a balanced meal because you're paranoid about the calories. Yes. Then this may not be right for you. And this is something I think a lot of people get into too, is they start thinking, okay, well, I'm going out for dinner tonight, so I'm not going to eat as much earlier in the day. And we've talked about this on the podcast setting several your, times. Setting yourself up. You're setting yourself up for a problem. So I would say, you know, yes. And, and yeah, I'll let you keep going because I have some other, <laughs> I yeah. think you're going to get to some of these thoughts that I'm having. And so the other thing I wanted to talk about is, you know, we talk about that disordered eating behaviors. If you have somebody who has an active eating disorders, we typically don't ask them to track calories. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we might ask them to track food groups and making sure they're hitting food groups and having a plan for that. Mm -hmm. But there is in no way calories being tracked. And again, studies show that. A 2017 study of 105 participants with an active eating disorder found that 74% use that app as a form of calorie counting, and 73% of those people found the app to be a contributor to their ED symptoms. Yeah. Again, this goes back to that sort of rigidity um, that often people with disordered eating. And don't think, here's the other thing, (laughs) that if you don't have a diagnosed eating disorder, Uh that we don't all have disordered eating thoughts at one point or another. That's, I was going to say, yes. (laughs) You know, there was a 1995 study that found that 35% of typical dieters, so Mm -hmm. weight loss dieters, developed disordered eating symptoms, and 15% of those went on to have partial or full criteria for disordered eating. Yeah. So don't think this can't happen to you. Right. Yeah. I mean, or that we don't have that thought process. Yeah. Think about how cognizant you are about it. Right. And you were able to identify it and know that that's what you were doing, but you were doing it. Right. And just be to, to you me, you know, yourself. right, because I, I mean, I understand that thought process. Right. I'm like, uh-oh, this right. is a problem for me. I can't do this. Or, I mean, I love your thought of taking the picture of the photo. I could do mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But, like, writing it down and putting it in an app would make me bananas. Right. It really yeah. would be. Yeah. And it would not be a healthy way for me to think. Yeah. So, even if you think, well, I don't have any eating disorder, I don't have disordered eating thoughts, they're more common than you think. They are. Yeah. And sometimes even the things that we do think, thinking about like, I've got to burn off everything I eat. Yeah. That's a disordered eating thought. Yeah. I've got to burn off this dinner or I've got to burn off this snack or mm-hmm. I need to earn my candy. Mm-hmm. Newsflash, that's disordered eating. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. again, most people may not think they have and most people don't meet criteria right. for full eating disorders. No. But we all probably have a little devil in our head. We do. That we do. talks to us in that 100%. way. 100%. I admit it too. I right. absolutely have it. Right. You know, I'm constantly thinking about food. So. Right. Wait, that's your job. Right. <laughs> so the second thing I want to talk about is our fitness trackers. And I'm wearing one on my wrist right now. I'm sure you are too. And maybe I am if you're, not. You're not. You're I, naked. I am naked. <laughs> Well, wow. I, I take that back because I do have my phone on me. Oh, no. And my phone is tracking my steps. Oh, I guess, my goodness. I guess I take that back. I am wearing one. So let's talk about those <laughs> fitness trackers. You know, we've, back in where I work, we've done pedometer challenges before where you, like, cook them to your waist, kind yep. of old school prior to having these things on our wrist all day. <laughs> Here's something you might want to know. So devices like your fitness watch or your phone do not actually count your steps. 
they approximate how many steps you're taking using something called an accelerometer. Those accelerometers use sensors uh, to pick up on motion. So your arms moving help pick up on motion. And then they use an algorithm to train your particular watch or phone to what is counting as a step. Okay, wait a minute. Say that again. So, so they use electromagnetic sensors to pick up on that motion. Uh-huh. And then they turn that information using an algorithm okay. into something they say is a step. So there, it's just a calculation. Pretty much. <laughs> so here's what's interesting. And this is, comes from an article that is fascinating that I will put in our show notes. Okay. These algorithms were developed not using a wide variety of people. These algorithms, algorithms were usually based on data that enrolls young men. So college age, 30s. And I love one of the quotes in this article, the farther you are away from, <laughs> from college age or your male. 30s or being a man, <laughs> the, the less accurate your fitness tracker is for you. The example that was given is somebody who shuffles. So, you know, somebody with Parkinson's disease, or have you noticed when you push a grocery cart, yeah. your step tracker doesn't move? Yes. Because your arm's not swinging. Yep. I have. How many of us have tried to I've, stop pushing the cart? I, I've, like, I've, I've gone one arm yep. with the cart because I'm like, I'm not giving up my steps at Costco. I'm walking all the way around the store, uh -huh. you know? So just realize that, you know, if you have some, and this is one of the reasons that if you are, you know, kind of just, you know, puttering around the kitchen one day, or if you're cleaning your house, mm -hmm. you might not get as many steps right. as, for example, I get at work where I'm up and down the stairs all day. I'm on patient floors. I'm walking, walking, right. walking, walking. You're walking fast. Right. You're walking, yeah, purposely. Right. <laughs> so realize that a step is not necessarily equal amongst people. Um, this is... You know, we do step challenges at work and mm -hmm. I've been involved in many step challenges. And, you know, I even look and try to get my 10,000 steps a day. Yeah, but I do too. I realize mm -hmm. that that's kind of a mythical number right. that may or may not be accurate. Right. Where it gets even more complicated is in those calorie counts. So your fitness tracker may look and say, I have burned, I'm looking at this morning, I burned 119 calories. Mm -hmm. Well, how accurate is that really? Right. Yeah. Because again, a lot of those algorithms were based on young men. And mm -hmm. again, the farther we are away from that, the less likely. There was one researcher in this particular article who said that no device had less than a 20% error rate. That was wow. tested okay. for calories. Yeah. yeah. So if you are using, again, your fitness tracker to say, how many calories did I burn today? Mm -hmm. It is not likely accurate. So if you want to keep your fitness tracker in your life, don't rely on it for calorie counts. They're fun. They're useful. They can be used, like I said, for challenges at work. Maybe there's something that motivates you. I One thing I do like about mine is it tells me to get up. Uh-huh. You know, I can sit and get involved in charting or writing and be sitting for too long. Yes. And I do like that it says stand up mm -hmm. and, you know, makes me stand up and walk a little bit. Yep. That's a healthy use of it. Reminds yes. me that I've been sitting too long. Absolutely. But, I was, yeah. So let, let me say a couple of things here. So like, first off with the steps, I'm always talking to my clients about, again, with the tracker, 
I think it's great to learn a baseline for you. Yes. On your whatever tracking device you're using and then go from there. Right. And like, could you be doing more steps than that? You know, and then try to build on it. But no, we're not trying to go from zero to 10,000 steps a day either. Right. So it's really based on you and what your tolerance is. Right. And then when it comes to the calories, this is a sticky thing for me because I do work with a lot of clients who are trying to lose weight. And the problem I see is, like I mentioned, is a, a fitness tracker like my fitness pal could be linked to your Fitbit. So it tells you how much exercise it tells your my fitness pal and my fitness pal says you need to eat more calories. And I have so many people who refuse to eat those extra calories because they've heard things like this, have how inaccurate they mm -hmm. are. Like you said, they're off by about 20%. At least. At least. But I always tell my clients, you know, you probably just from a perspective of a dietitian and knowing what we know about, the more active you are, you are going to require a little more extra calories. Mm -hmm. So I do want you to eat back some of those calories, mm -hmm. but I don't feel like... You need to eat back 100% of them for sure. Right. right. And I guess the, the question is at that point, is there a point of using that external device to track calories? So let's say, some, you're, let's say yeah. you're a very active person. Mm -hmm. you, you know, you have a job that's not all sitting, you know, but you are, you know, you go home and you go to the gym or you walk with your, your spouse or mm -hmm. yeah. do you even need that fitness tracker? to tell you that we were, you're healthy. We all survived without these right, before. For many. Yes. Right. Yes. We all lived without them and we were all still exercising. Right. I have rarely found that my fitness tracker makes me exercise or I right. said, no, I got it. I got to exercise. You know, I shouldn't, mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, we all lived with these before. Right. The question is what kind of relationship do you have with that fitness tracker? Right. Sometimes my, my husband will make fun of me if I'm trying to get my extra steps, I'll march in place at night, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, well, I want to right. get to 10,000. Right. That's so, so silly. Close. It's so right. silly. It is silly. It is silly. It is silly. Yep. Yeah. And that kid brings me to my final point. Tracking on an app focuses on those external numbers, that external advice, and it makes it very difficult to listen to your own body. As you yeah. already mentioned, if you're an active person, you need more calories. You will be hungrier. Right. And that's normal right. and healthy. And you might not be nor you might not be hungrier until the next day. Right. I used right? to when I was so, running heavily, I was the next day it was yeah. it was rungry. I was I used to call it, you know, I would eat everything. <laughs> you know, if I was doing a long run, it was not the day of, it was the day after uh -huh. that I could was not satisfied. There was right. nothing that I could eat that would satisfy me. Right. Yeah, and that's very normal. It is those internal cues that dieting tool can feel like a safety net. Mm -hmm. And there's even a term called techorexia uh -huh. that is now being used to that compulsive <laughs> behavior normalized by mm -hmm. wearing our apps, wearing our fitness monitoring, our tech. And like I said, it can be associated with poor body image, mm -hmm. disordered eating behavior. So I challenge you, <laughs> if... You think, you know, the fitness tracker isn't bothering you. If you think I could get away from it in time, maybe I'm not even looking at it. Mm -hmm. And I challenge you, if this is something that you think is concerning for you, put it away. Yeah. 
And if you think, well, this doesn't bother me, I, I could do that. You know, I could put it away. Mm-hmm. But then if you start to feel a little like, I don't know if I could put it away, uh-huh. then that means you really should probably go ahead and do that. <laughs> because if it's really <laughs> making harder. you that kind right. of nervous, this is like all dieting tools. But, you know, if it's too difficult to give up, you know, yeah. your calorie counting app and your fitness tracker, maybe mm-hmm. pick one yeah. that you could sort of step away from. Mm-hmm. Again, not everybody thinks this way, but if you find this is becoming an issue for you, you know, again, maybe you're not ready to give everything up or maybe you can even take a different approach. So, for example, like the MyPlate app is so yeah. s- really wonderful yes. because it mostly focuses on are you eating enough vegetables? Right. Are you right. drinking enough mm-hmm. water? Are you, you know, adding a fruit to each meal? And you can custom set your own goals. Mm-hmm. And something like that, but there's frankly no calorie counting involved. It's all right. about just food group involvement, right. just like your photo app could be. Mm-hmm. So I really think that that's, you know, if that maybe that's a better approach if you're like, yeah. well, I can't get away from all of it, but I could do something like that. I feel like the calorie counting isn't necessary. Right. I really do. I kind of feel like it can get away. It, it can cause more problems than it's worth. And when a dietitian does those calculations, what we're doing is we're saying, well, how many days a week do you work out? What's your intensity level? And then we're calculating that into a weekly plan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like you said, on your runs, like if you get behind on eating enough calories for the activity that you're doing, that's when you get into trouble and then you get hungry and unsatisfied for the next whole day, mm-hmm. you know? So Maybe making sure that, that you know, yeah, you, you're not tracking necessarily calories. All you really have to track, honestly, is, you know, patterns. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned, you know, like patterns and what might be missing from, from your plate. Right. And sometimes when you replace what's missing from your plate, you might see that some of those things that you know are kind of treats and occasional things mm-hmm. will start coming off the plate. Right. And, you or know, decreasing. Well, and I've had, you know, a client or, or two say, you know, if I don't continue to track, I'm going to gain a bunch of weight and yeah. newsflash, you won't, you know, yeah. we all survive before we could track everything mm-hmm. in our phone yeah. and you'll survive again. Yeah. You yep. know, there is no reason that to think that that is your only, you know, wall between you and gaining 15 pounds. Mm-hmm. That is not the case at all. Yeah. That's not how we're wired. It's just, it isn't the way it works. Yeah. I love the freedom. Of, I, I've done a Fitbit before. I've done some of these trackers before. And right now I'm not wearing a, a device at all to tell me like activity and what I'm doing or anything like that. Right. Uh, I have heard, I've, I have realized though, I do kind of, I like that idea of a reminder to get up every once in a while because right. I've been setting my alarm. If, if I know I'm working on a project, I'm like, I don't want to sit here for longer than, you know, right. 45 minutes. Right. And to me, it's more just because I'm getting old, you know, like my hips hurt if I sit too long right. or, you know, I know that's not good for me to, you know, my hip yeah. muscles will shorten oh. and things like that on your shoulders. My and shoulders and back. Right. Oh, so yeah, it's not about getting up to lose weight. It's about getting up so I don't continue to get more creaky than I already am. Exactly. Right. Yes. So if you're thinking about downloading an app and, you know, I always think, think about what your motivation is. This should really be in anything we do. Yeah. What is my why? Why am I doing this? So, you know, if my intention is to, you know, lose weight and that's the only reason I'm doing it, that might not be a good reason to do it. 
is journaling an option? And that's something that you had mentioned with your photo app. I think this could be the same way, kind of more in a, like a, um, just a curiosity yeah. way, yeah. you know, if you're journaling and, and I've done like mindful eating journals with clients and things like mm-hmm. that, but more of talking about, you know, how food made you feel? Was it satisfying? Right. Did you feel like you were, you know, it's a good way to pick out, I'm only eating like a fruit for a snack and now I'm hungry. That's a great way to figure that out. Oh, that's oh, why I was hungry. Maybe right. I needed to add some protein or some fat to that. Right. Yeah. That is all, that's a wonderful use of journaling. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that's not tracking. Right. That's really, that's, you know, curiosity. Right. And figuring out what your patterns are. Yeah. And sometimes I always tell, a lot of times I'll tell my clients, just let's just track for like a couple of days during the week. Right. Just, just occasionally check in with yourself. Right. Write it down where right. you at. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And also remember that these apps, I mean, you know, when you go into a calorie counting app, they're taken on an average of, you know, or, you know, even right. we know that calorie counts are not at even absolutes on our food. Right. You know, oh, there's a yeah. reason things are 150 <laughs> calories or 160 calories. They're not all right on the nose, right. 150 calories. There's give right. and go in every number like that. Yes. Uh, you know, I mean, to be fair, if you're tracking something like sodium, you know, mm-hmm. maybe that's something you do want to just kind of keep an eye on. But you, always, right. you can also learn to read labels to know what's a high sodium food and exactly. what you're not going to. You know, right? I always, when I teach sodium restriction to patients, I say it's all on an average. Yeah. You're going to have a day that you're, you know, 2,500 milligrams and you're going to have a day that you're 1,500 milligrams and we're all going to meet in the middle at 2,000 milligrams. Right. That's wonderful. Right. That's what we want. Yeah. Yeah. That's what yeah. you want. Yep. So. If you think tracking is something that you're interested in or maybe something you should stay away from, please check out our show notes. We're going to add some of those links. Mm -hmm. You can also uh, add a link. Well, you'll have the link to Laura's Dinner is Served program, which I really think I'm going to sign up for. I'm very, (laughs) like chicken and spring vegetables sounds incredibly delicious delicious right now. Yeah, very good. good, Very good. (laughs) If you have questions about tracking or any other issues with nutrition that you would like us to discuss, please feel free to email us at dish at secret liferd.com. You can reach us on social media at The Secret Life Dietitians, and we will find you next time wherever you get your podcasts.